Welcome to the October 2020 edition of Beef Monthly. I'm Dr. Ron Lominator, Beef Extension Specialist at Purdue University Department of Animal Science. In this month's issue, we're going to talk in headline news a little bit about the cattle inventory and legislative issues dealing with the cattle marketing. In the Ask Dr. Ron segment, we're going to talk about prussic acid poisoning with Dr. Keith Johnson. In farm safety, we're going to start talking a little bit about shoot safety, and this will be section one, dealing with the crowding tub. In production and management tips, we'll talk about both spring and fall calving herds and some, some things that you need to consider. In upcoming programs and events, we're talking about statewide regional beef meetings that's coming up virtually, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Indiana Beef Cattle Convention in Hendricks County in Danville, Indiana coming up. Hoosier Beef Congress interview with Barry Westner and Matt Clays. And the upcoming IBEP bull test station sale, we'll talk with Dr. Nick Minton. And now, a word from our good friends at Corteva. Your land is more than a business. It's a heritage that has been passed down from those who tended it before you, by those who shaped it, changed it, and cared for it. Your land has a legacy, one that you carry on, but also one you build on. At Corteva AgriScience, we are the stewards of a lasting legacy. We have a responsibility to Dow AgroSciences to maintain the relationships and trust they built, and to build upon those foundations. To help you care for your land, to provide innovations that help you protect the hard work and investment you've poured into it. To help you build a legacy that can be passed on for generations to come. Corteva AgriScience. In this month's headline news, our lead story comes from Dr. Daryl Peel, ag economist from Oklahoma State University, who reported on changes and projections in our cattle inventory. Cattle slaughter for the year through September 26 was down 3.6%, which includes a 4.2% decrease in steer and heifer slaughter and a 1.2% decrease in cow slaughter. In the last two months, Steer slaughter has been up 2.2% year over year, with a projected increase of 3 to 3.5% 3 year over year during the fourth quarter. Heifer slaughter in the last quarter has been down 3.9% year over year, with a projected decrease of 2 to 2.5% during the fourth quarter. Beef cow slaughter is projected to be 2.5% higher while a total animal slaughter is projected to be about 2.5% lower for the year. Carcass weights are expected to exceed 900 pounds for the first time ever, and these carcass weights are expected to offset the lower cattle slaughter to provide a total beef production similar to last year. On the legislative front, there are two bills proposed in Congress dealing with live cattle marketing and price discovery. The first legislation introduced in the U.S. House of Representatives by Representative Johnson from South Dakota called the Price Act that would increase the transparency in cattle markets, improve risk management, support new and expanding meat processors, and update the Packers and Stockyards Act. 
The second piece of legislation introduced in the U.S. Senate by U.S. Senator Fisher from Nebraska called the Cattle Market Transparency Act 2020 addresses the decline in the negotiated cash market. The bill calls for the establishment of regional minimum thresholds and negotiated cash trades. This is different from the 5014 bill legislation previously proposed by Senator Grassley and Tesler that would mandate 50% of the cattle be traded on a negotiated cash basis. It's going to be interesting to see how these pieces of legislation come together. And the last segment of headline news deals with the livestock show scene. Uh, it's just been announced that Fort Worth Livestock Show is canceled. Previously, the National Western Livestock Show in Denver had been canceled. And it looks like that there's going to be two competing shows that have been scheduled to at least partially take their place. The first one is the Cattlemen's Congress, which will be held in Oklahoma City January 2 to 17. And Grand Island, Nebraska has announced that they are hosting what they are calling the Nebraskan beginning on January 9th. As we move into the fall and temperatures start to dip into the low 30s, Dr. Keith Johnson and I start getting phone calls about prussic acid. In this month's Ask Dr. Ron segment, Dr. Keith Johnson and I will be addressing the key issues surrounding most of the producer questions we receive. Keith, let's begin our discussion by talking a little bit about what is prussic acid. Prussic acid is often referred to as hydrogen cyanide or simply HCN. And plants that produce prussic acid have a compound called durin, which is a precursor to prussic acid. When plants with durin are stressed by a freeze or an extreme drought, we have this release of prussic acid that occurs by an enzymatic reaction. The plants in the sorghum family have this durin, and these include forage sorghum, sudan grass, sorghum sudan grass, and many of us may have, particularly in southern Indiana, the prohibited noxious weed Johnson grass in our pastures, which is a member of the sorghum family. And as an aside, let me say that cherry trees do produce durin, and this can be a problem with wilting leaves on dropped branches during the growing season. It's worthy to note that corn and the millet do not have prussic acid production potential. The greatest amount of durin is actually found in immature plant tissue, especially leaves. Ron, what are the symptoms of cattle that may have consumed prussic acid? Well, you know, during drought conditions, okay, like we had back in 2012, uh, or following a freeze, when these these cells rupture that you just kind of started to talk about, prussic acid is released from the tissues and especially the leaves that can result in acute toxicity and death of livestock due to oxygen deprivation or what we typically think of as suffocation. And that can happen really rapidly after the animals consume some quantity, and I don't know what that quantity is, but it doesn't take very much. Uh, right? much uh, and so these animals can die in as little as 15 minutes after consumption. The symptoms that would be seen by producers prior to animal death often include excessive salivation, rapid breathing, and convulsions. 
realize this might be in a very small window, and what you'll typically find oftentimes is just dead animals. So, Keith, what are some of the predisposing factors that, uh, you know, lead to prussic acid poisoning? Well, first of all, we have to have that durin, right, in the plant, and high durin levels. Uh, that's going to be first and foremost. And we're going to find this in the younger, rapidly growing plants. And so what we want to do is to look for the presence of tillers. Some people may call them young shoots uh, that are less than 18 inches tall. And one has to get down and close probably within the canopy of the growing crop because you may have plants that are more than waist high, but you may have some of these young tillers or shoots that are less than 18 inches tall, so more immature tissue, and they would have a higher level of durin. The other thing that's been noted with research is that soils that are high in nitrogen with a phosphorus deficiency seem to have a higher durin level content in the plant as compared to situations that are sufficient in phosphorus. And, of course, the other thing, uh, if you have hungry animals going after uh, that type of crop, uh, probably in, ha, are more at uh, risk in terms of having uh, death caused by prussic acid poisoning. So, Ron, what are some of the recommendations that we might be able to do to manage this, this risk of prussic acid poisoning? Well, I think one of the really easy uh, recommendations, and I'll put this as my number one, is, you know, um, don't graze sorghum or the sorghum sedans or the hybrid, the Sudans or the Johnson grass until plants get at least 18 to 24 inches tall. All right. And you've already referred to that, that, that smaller plant. All right. So this is probably one place that, that I would sure start. The second one was, and, and you've already mentioned it, but never turn hungry animals out onto these forages after they've been, let's say, nipped by a frost, not necessarily killed, but nipped by a frost. Um, and, and quite honestly, that's probably true of those 18 to 24 inch tall plants, even during the growing season, that you probably ought to, you know, make sure that the animals have filled up on something, something like hay or, you know, a, a previous pasture situation where they weren't uh, they weren't coming off of that hungry and moving on to these uh, sorghum family plants. And then um, the third recommendation that I would make is that utilize these forages before a freeze event whenever possible. All right. So, you know, idea, in an ideal world, we would have been done grazing by about this time of year, um, but we don't always utilize that forage. So once we get to a point of freezing temperatures, um, you probably ought to stop grazing these forages and wait at least seven days. Okay, some people say seven to ten days, uh, but at least seven days before you turn back out onto those those pastures after a after a frost. And and when you do that, and you've already referred to this, look very closely in the undergrowth for any new tillers or shoots or leaves, whatever category you want to put them in. But and if you have new growth that has been generated since the frost, you probably need to stay off of that forage, okay, somewhat longer again. 
And ideally, these forages would not be grazed again until at least seven days after a killing frost. And once the plant dies and the leaves turn brown, the uh, hydrocyanic acid okay, will have been released as a gas from the plant, and it will be then safe to resume grazing again. Right, so kind of before a frost and after a killing frost probably is the safest recommendation. But Keith, I'm going to ask you a question about, you know, could we harvest, you know, that crop as either a haylage crop or a dry hay crop? And what would be the ramifications of that? Well, one of the things that happens one's pasturing is the selectivity of those leaves that have the higher presence of durin. So when you harvest the whole plant, and it's there for consumption, you're reducing potential. So we do know from past research that we do get some reduction of prussic acid when we harvest it as hay or as silage or as a lot of people are doing now, baleage, which is a fermentation product. Of course, we're at a point in time that uh, making dry hay is a lot easier said than done with shorter days and cool mornings and cooler days. And so to get that to dry moisture safely is uh, probably a stretch. So probably at this point, uh, I would suggest when we get to mid-October, we actually ought to be looking at fermentation in the form of silage as a safer approach to go if we're not going to be grazing. Keith, thank you so much for joining me. And I would like to point out to our viewing audience that uh, Dr. Johnson and Shelby uh, Gruss has done, uh, I don't know, a 10 or 15 minute video on prussic acid. And the URL for that is in the show notes below. In the farm safety segment, we're going to be talking about shoot safety. And this will be part one of a series. And this particular segment will be dealing with the crowding tub. Today we're going to talk a little bit about animal handling safety, uh, particularly as it deals with the mechanical equipment associated with animal handling. I'm Dr. Ron Luminator, Beef Extension Specialist at Purdue University Department of Animal Science. One of the aspects of getting ready to work cattle is to, to walk through where the animals are going to be. All right, so this is a single file alley. This one happens to be a curved alley that, that takes advantage of the psychology that animals like to go back in the direction from which they came. So the cattle in this facility are coming in this direction and they're going around and they're exiting in that direction. Okay, so they're going back in the direction from which they came. As you, as you prepare to work animals, you really need to walk through where the animals will be. All right, make sure that there are no rough edges, no nails sticking out, no, no obstructions, no uh, styrofoam cups on the floor, uh, napkins, uh, handkerchiefs, uh, jackets flopping in the breeze, okay? Anything that would be out of the ordinary from the standpoint of the animal's view of where they're going to move. And, you know, a styrofoam cup on the floor could be enough for a set of animals to balk. All right, and so you want to one, you wonder why the animals aren't moving? It's because we've got an obstacle in their in their way, and animals don't see quite the same way we do. All right, so they basically have to put their head almost all the way down on the ground to be able to 
focus on what that particular object is. All right. So even things like shadows, okay, can prevent can keep animals from moving forward, okay, or what we call balking, all right, because of the difference in light contrast between one side of the shadow and the open side of the shadow. So walk your facilities, make sure that, that the lighting is, is consistent, that there are no um, obstacles on the sides of the chute or on the floor of the chute that, that can either cause animal injury or cause animals to balk. As we begin the process of handling cattle, we're going to be bringing them down some kind of an alleyway into what this facility has is a crowding, what we call a crowding tub. All right, the crowding tub. Okay, once we get animals in here, and we don't want to overpopulate this area. All right. So when you think about square footage and how many animals could be squeezed in here, you need to think about half that number. What we have is cleats alongside the tub, all right? And these provide safety from the standpoint of animal pressure against this gate, okay? So this one is already attached to the first cleat. Notice that if the animals push on that and I'm on the other side, I'm safe. If, if, the, if this was open and animals start to mill around, Okay, and I'm on the other side of the gate, and animals push against this gate, and they do that rapidly. What can happen is my feet can get caught underneath the bottom of the, the gate, and the gate's going to go over the top of me. All right? So these cleats, okay, as this, as this gate comes forward, so now it's latched in this position. Now it's latched in this position, and so forth and so on, until we get the animals all going down the center, uh, the single file alley. And then typically where the tub and the single file alley intersect, there's usually a drop gate or a slide gate that we would put so that the animals don't back up into this area, which now gives me an opportunity. While those animals are being processed, I can bring the next group in. They're holding, waiting. Then I can open the gate, I can reload the facility, and it gives me a constant flow of animals instead of breaks between animals, because animals like to follow one another. In this month's management tips, we're going to begin by talking about fall hay harvest. If you haven't had, got your last cutting of hay off of the field yet, you might want to wait until after we have a killing frost. The logic here is, is that it takes about six weeks prior to a killing frost for plants to winterize. In other words, move carbohydrate reserves into the storage structures, okay, so that those plants can regrow and begin uh, the production process next spring. The other point is, is that if you're making hay at this time of year, finding drying, drying times that are reasonable becomes a challenge. So caution that you don't make hay that dry hay that has actually got too much moisture in it. Every fall we typically find uh, producers or somebody around the state that, that has a fire because hay was harvested a little bit too wet and then stored in the barn and we have a barn fire or we have a, 
a, a pile fire if we if you're storing outside and and uh, under a tarp or whatever. The second point is fall grazing. Obviously, uh, many areas of the state need some moisture, and so fall grazing may be limited as we as we go through the fall, and we may not have as much regrowth uh, prior to uh, plants going into winter dormancy. Um, so just be aware that we may end up having to start feeding hay just a little bit sooner, and we need to account for that. Another issue is prussic acid, okay, and the sorghum, the sedan, the hybrids of sorghum sedan, and in Johnson grass. And Johnson grass is one of those that we sometimes forget about. But I'm going to refer you to the Ask Dr. Ron segment for more information. And, and we also have in the show notes below this program a link to another longer version video done by Dr. Keith Johnson and, and Shelby Guess. Another issue is cornstalk grazing. Uh, great opportunity, uh, you know, as we, we finish up combining corn um, to, to use those stalks as a uh, re feed resource that can extend our grazing season. I would caution you, however, to make sure that before you kick cows out that you look around the field for any piles of spilled corn, okay, as you auger from the combine into the auger cart or from the auger cart into the semi or whatever that we don't have any piles of corn because I will tell you the cows will find those piles of corn and they could overeat uh, have a carbohydrate overload and we could end up with some acidosis and founder. The second part of that is that if you're going to graze soybean stubble make sure that again you look around the field for uh, piles of soybeans that have uh, been left in the field and cows again will find those and we've had cases where producers have had some cows that have died as a result of grain overload either on the corn side or on the soybean side. The other thing on corn stalks, uh, you know, if you happen to have some wind or some some damage, uh, you know, corn that went down for whatever reason, make sure that you look for uh, ears of corn, okay, in excess. Again, um, you know, cows consuming large amounts of, of ears of corn, uh, you know, shortly after turnout, uh, can also be uh, a problem from an acidosis standpoint. So it, if you have a lot of corn down, uh, make sure that you adjust these cows prior to kick out uh, to some, some corn in the diet so that we have some carbohydrate, uh, some starch uh, available to the rumen microbes prior, prior to kick out so that, that we've adapted the rumen to having a little bit more corn in the diet or more starch in the diet. The other thing is is that you could make sure that you don't turn hungry cows out. You know, fill these cows up on hay, whatever, so that they don't go out and just end up with a big meal of corn. Another issue is check your hay inventory. If we're running short on, on fall pastures, uh, make sure that you've got enough hay in the inventory. Make arrangements for additional hay if that's needed. I would also encourage you to sample forages for forage quality so we, you know what, what you've got so you know how to prepare and plan for a supplementation strategy. This is also a good time of the year, okay, after we have a killing frost to consider uh, internal parasite control. Uh, 
you know, basically these cows, the, the parasites will, will go dormant, go, go underground, if you will, uh, you know, after a killing freeze, and they'll emerge next spring. And so using uh, an anthelmintic that controls internal parasites uh, after killing frost is a good management practice. I'd also, along that same line, uh, if you used insecticide ear tags, now is a good time to be removing those ear tags so that we don't end up with some uh, uh, resistance issues going into the next fly season. For the spring calving cow herds, uh, this is a great time to make sure that you've got your cow herd pregnancy checked or diagnosed. Uh, and getting rid of uh, your cull cows uh, that are open, uh, you know, the old arthritic cows, uh, the unsound cows, those kinds of things. Now is a great time to be thinking about that. I'd also encourage the spring calving cow herds to think about looking at your cows from a body condition perspective. Uh, right after weaning time is a great time to be able to, if, if we need to make some adjustments, uh, to condition score. This is a, probably the easiest time during the production cycle to do that. The nutrient requirements uh, are very minimal for uh, maintaining pregnancy at this time and um, it's really easy to, to pick cows up in terms of a half a condition score or a condition score uh, you know before those cows go into late pregnancy. For the fall calf and cow herds again uh, breeding, uh, body condition scoring these cows because uh, the breeding season is just around the corner uh, for you guys. And with the breeding season just around the corner, now is a great time to be thinking about getting your breeding, breeding soundness evaluations done on your bulls. And if you need to make a replacement, uh, that, can, that can happen uh, prior to the beginning of the breeding season. And we do have an upcoming bull, bull test station sale coming up uh, on Saturday. In upcoming programs and events, here's some dates for your calendar. We're going to have a statewide regional beef meeting that's going virtual this year because of the COVID-19 pandemic, okay? So it's going to be a one meeting, okay? It's going to be done virtually, and it's scheduled for Tuesday, January 12th at 7 p.m. Please be watching for more details. Also coming up is the Indiana Beef Cattle Convention. It is on Saturday, January 23rd in the Henrichs County Fairgrounds in Danville, Indiana. The IBEP Bull Test Station is this Saturday, October 17th. We're joined by Dr. Nick Minton, Beef System Specialist and Bull Test Station Manager to tell us more about this sale. Hi, I'm Nick Minton, uh, Beef System Specialist with Purdue University and Bull Test Station Manager here at the Indiana Beef Evaluation Program located in Bedford, Indiana. Uh, on October 17th, beginning at 2 p.m., our 86th bull sale uh, will begin. It will be held at the Springville Feeder Auction Facility in Springville, Indiana. There will be 18 bulls that we'll offer uh, that day. Um, of those, these 18 bulls, uh, were the top two-thirds on performance index of the 32 bulls that we tested this past summer. They've all successfully passed the structural soundness and disposition screening as well as the breeding soundness exam. Bulls are also all parent verified, both are sire and dam. And so there's a number of other 
of other tests that they have successfully passed, such as being negative for BVD, tuberculosis, and brucellosis. All of their dams have had a negative Yoni's test uh, prior to their delivery here at the Indiana Beef Evaluation Program. Uh, if you are unable to attend in person on, the, on October 17th, the sale will be broadcast live on CattleUSA.com. Uh, all this information can be found in the sale catalog. Uh, if you've not received a sale catalog or have not called in to request one, you can please do so. Uh, you can call uh, myself at the Bull Test Station, 812-279-4330, uh, or visit our the Indiana Beef, Beef Evaluation Program's website uh, and look at all the details under the 2020 Summer Test. Uh, all information uh, for the duration of the test is on the website. So uh, we look forward to seeing you on October 17th at 2 p.m. Hoosier Beef Congress is scheduled for Friday through Sunday, December 4 through 6, at Clay's Beef Extension, uh, joining us for a talk about this premier event. Well, it's October, and it's time to start thinking about Hoosier Beef Congress and making those entries. We've been getting quite a few phone calls as to whether the Hoosier Beef Congress is going to happen or not, and a resounding yes is the answer. Cooperatively, the Indiana State Fair and the IBCA and the Hoosier Beef Congress Committee is dedicated to bringing the educational program to the young people and the membership of IBCA. The Hoosier Beef Congress is going to be held Friday, December 4th through Sunday, December 6th. Now, to make entries, there's a couple of different ways that you can do that. Most people are, are making entries online at HoosierBeefCongress.com. Once again, it's HoosierBeefCongress.com. You can make entries uh, right there online, or you can print out an entry form and mail it in to the IBCA office. Now, also this year, just so everyone's aware, entry fees prior to November 1 are $125 per head. After November 1, it will go up to $200. That includes betting, stalling, and we'll start checking cattle in on Thursday. Now, Thursday, we typically have weighed the commercial heifers and the commercial steers uh, Thursday mid-afternoon uh, and early evening. Make sure that you pay attention because we're going to try to weigh a few more steers on Thursday um, this year and look for those notices that will be online at the Hoosier Beef Congress website. As usual, we will be having a stalling auction in conjunction with Willoughby Livestock Sales and you can go to that stalling auction to reserve your spot and bid on that at wlivestock.com. That auction is going to be on November 12th Thursday, November 12th, that evening, will be the stall auction. Now, a lot of those funds go to uh, help with the Beef Congress as well as the junior uh, program 
there at IBCA. Everybody's wanting to know who the judges are for this year. And on the heifer side, there will be uh, two gentlemen that have worked together a long time at uh, Star Lake a number of years ago. Josh Taylor and Todd Herman will be sorting the heifers. And to sort the steers will be a gentleman from Texas, uh, Jake Frankie. Some of you may know Jake as a uh, livestock judging team coach at Texas A&M. And right now he's on his own. Uh, raising and selling a lot of show steers in that Texas circuit. We don't know who the uh, judges are for showmanship quite yet. The Junior Association is still trying to nail that down, and we will have that for you next month on Beef Monthly when we report about the other events and how things are going to happen at the Hoosier Beef Congress. Make your entries. Go to HoosierBeefCongress.com, and we look forward to seeing you in December. presentation was a production of the Animal Science Department at Purdue University.